0: And welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, good friend of the program, Adam Spinella, is here. We're at school with Adam today. It's going to be a nice little fun time. And obviously, we are going to break down everything we just saw from Victor Wembenyama. Unfortunately, the second game of this Scoot versus Vic showdown uh, did not necessarily materialize in the way that we had hoped because Scoot and Vic kind of banged knees in the first quarter and out of an abundance of caution, it would seem based off of uh, Scoot's quotes after the game, uh, the G League Ignite decided to kind of shut down Scoot Henderson for the rest of this game. But we saw everything that we could have hoped to have seen from these two guys over the course of this three-day little adventure in Las Vegas. Adam Spinella, I talked to Ricky O'Donnell on Tuesday night. Tonight I'm talking to you. How excited are you about what we just saw over these three days?
1: Yeah. So I mean, first of all, what an exciting first game! I know I didn't have the opportunity to to chime in with uh, with you and Ricky on Tuesday night. Who, you know, shout out Ricky, the absolute best. Um, what, as, what as folks
0: a- can tell, Adam's voice is a bit gravelly right now. Uh, we're, he's, we're battling. Uh, he's, he's getting back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're we're battling from a a week long cold here, but. The the Tuesday night game was so much fun from the opening play with, you know, Victor basically going ISO mode to a fading bank shot from 17 feet all the way through to the final buzzer with Scoot kind of taking over in the fourth quarter. What an unbelievable game top to bottom today, you know, uh, still a really well played and fun game. I thought the the Scoot banging of knees and I I hesitate to even call it an injury. Um, You know, he's he banged his, his knee. Um, but him not being in the matchup definitely soured a little bit in terms of what everybody was hoping for from the experience. It certainly does not put a damper on what Victor Weminyama is. I mean, I I hesitate to call him a basketball player. I don't know whether I should call him an alien. Like, What is the proper word to describe what the hell he has shown over the last three days here?
0: Yeah, like LeBron James called him an alien, called him a generational player, uh said basically the the word unicorn does not define uh Victor Wembanyama. He it's just what we saw from Vic over the last couple of days uh is every single plausible thing that we could have asked for from him. You and I on this show over the course of the last, you know, month or so, we've talked a lot about the skills that we would like to see Vic showcase over the course of this season, over the course of this season, not over the course of two days. We literally saw everything that we could have hoped for from Victor Wembanyama over these three days, I guess, two games. Uh The th- one thing that we were worried about was the shooting. Like we would like to see Victor Wembanyama consistently knock down shots. Last year he shot, I think 27 point, one twenty-seven and a half percent from three. He was pulling up from fucking 30 feet in this game. I mean, good Lord. Uh, he hit... The most ridiculous shot I've ever seen a seven footer hit in my life, by the way, Victor Weminyama is seven foot five. The difference between him and a seven footer is the difference between someone who is like six foot seven and a center foot, a seven footer. Uh, he hit a shot in transition where he like caught just like a little trailer dump off, took one dribble, took two steps from above the break into the corner and hit a fading falling away three-pointer from the corner fading to his right which is typically a harder shot for a righty and frankly not a shot we saw Victor Wembanyama bring out of his arsenal in the first game we saw a lot of step backs to his left in the first game the fact that he made that shot just completely blew my mind we saw like a dream shake mid-range shot like
1: Yeah, and and we saw a a dream shake kind of one in each half going over each shoulder, you know, one on the baseline uh, in the first half, one in the second half. Like the the impressive part about that three-pointer that you're describing where he takes one dribble and gets all the way from, you know, the coach's hash to the corner essentially is the elevation that he got on his shot. He wasn't fading out of bounds. He was able to get his feet fully underneath him, rise straight up, and have pristine mechanics with his wrist flick. I mean, it's it's so impressive what he's doing as a shooter. I think he was 9 of 18 from three across the two games combined, a 7 of 11 in the first contest, 2 of 7, I believe, today. Um, but just he he is a legitimate shooter. Whatever he's put in over the summer, just to get that a little bit more consistent, we've all known he has shooting potential and really good touch, but his his footwork, his lower body mechanics – how he's able to jump straight up and have a a strong release on top of that. He's just, he's so good.
0: I mean, and we saw like a rip through drive going to his left, spinning back to his right in the first half. I'll be honest. I thought that this game for Vic offensively and frankly, like in terms of some other things like rebounding and uh, just overall like defensive, Mm -hmm. uh, not even, I don't even want to say IQ and like, you know, positioning because I think that, Scoot just kind of puts so much pressure on a defense that it was easier for Vic today without Scoot in the lineup because of his athleticism. Uh, But just across the board, like Vic had 10 rebounds in this game. He was really, really uh, steady and solid on the glass. Like that he was consistent in terms of protecting the rim. Like uh, all of it across the board, on top of the shot creation, on top of the mid-range stuff, I – so, like, you and I have been a little bit hesitant, not a lot hesitant, but, like, a little bit hesitant to, like, throw around generational and throw around, like, he's 100% a better prospect than Zion. He's 100% a better prospect than Anthony Davis. Like, if this continues throughout the course of the season, there is, like, no circumstance that any team would not take him number one overall over Anthony Davis. He's seven foot five. Like, period, point blank. Like he is seven foot five, and is this kind of shot creator, this kind of polished playmaker. Uh, it's really just kind of incredible. I, I don't know. I, I like my my mind is a little bit blown. Um, it, it's it's rare that I struggle to come up with words on stuff like this, but I am. I uh, we saw a guy that is seven foot five. Whose release point is frankly like over 10 feet. Like, like it's higher. Like he shoots the ball with a high release point. He actually elevates into his jumper. Like that's the thing. Like it's not like a set shot. Like when you watch Christoph Sporzingis, like it's a set shot for the most part. Right. Vic elevates into this thing and like actually has balance and it's. Grace and fluidity it's it's not normal. It's just so it's so
1: not normal well, and and the confidence the confidence that he takes all of these shots with there's a difference between having a green light to let stuff fly and taking shots that you genuinely believe are going to go in. And it seems that every one of these that he takes, however bold they are when he is really pulling, he believes that every single one of them is going to go in. You know, I go back to one of the first scrimmages that we saw from him this year with Metropolitans where he took kind of like a one legged step back in transition on the left wing. And yeah. like, it didn't go in, but my God, just the, the cojones, I keep saying that the, the take, audacity got, <laughs> he's nuts. And you know what? He's proving time and time again that he can make tough Uh, you know, things that we can't fathom from a jump shooter. He can do. I want to keep seeing him go further. Like it's, it's simultaneously mind blowing and fun while also being just this unbelievable lesson as an evaluator that there is no blueprint for a guy like this. Like even comparing him to an Anthony Davis or Rudy Gobert, who who else you want to talk about? You know, I hear Kevin Durant combined with Rudy Gobert, like, There is no blueprint for what he does on either end of the floor. He's just already moving kind.
0: So I went back yesterday, like spent a good portion of the day yesterday, really digging deep into like, okay, what past precedents do we have for this? Right. Um, Like real, like I went back, I found, any sort of like highlights that I could find of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, AKA Lou Alcindor at the time at UCLA. I dug deep. I like tried to find like Ralph Sampson highlights, which are more in uh, like copious amounts on YouTube, which is good. Um, Arvita Sabonis, you know, you and I have talked about that before. Like you can find those online pretty easily Um, when he was young in Russia Like I went back, I tried to find um, like Yao Ming. I couldn't find like anything out of China with Yao Ming, but like I tried to find like early, like Houston, Yao Ming, Um, Shaquille O'Neal. Like, and the other thing I did, I went back and I watched the other like elite prospect games that we've seen. Right. So like one of them that I went back and watched was Shaquille O'Neal against uh, Christian Leitner. Right. Like Christian Leitner was this incredibly famous, like made the goddamn dream team rookie out of, or, you know, senior out of Duke shaquille o'neal was a junior at lsu and oh my goodness i mean duke won the game but like the first half that shaquille o'neal like put up he just completely altered the game like geometrically in the way that you see from vic now it was totally different because Shaq was just like so strong and explosive and physical that he'd just move guys around right like nobody could establish position against him he could run the court Uh, I, it, it like made me remember that I still think we drastically underrate how good Shaquille O'Neal was somehow, um, and like almost makes me like understand like how his attitude sometimes can seem like it is on NBA t- like uh, TNT, um, NBA on TNT. Like I, I get it. Um, it it's uh, I couldn't really find a perfect. Comparison point for Vic, the closest I think is probably Ralph Sampson in terms of like, okay, he could step away and shoot. He was seven foot four. So like he had the crazy length. He was a real athlete. He had real balance and grace, but like even Ralph, it it wasn't. It's not like he could step away and like handle the ball and break guys down off the dribble. Like a lot of it was like post mid post, maybe catches and shoots from 20 feet away. Like it it just, we haven't seen this before. There's, I think that like Kareem was a better prospect. Uh, like Lou Alcindor's first game, he scored 56 points at UCLA. And look, he was as a sophomore, right? Cause freshmen couldn't play then. So he was, I think, 20 at the time. It, but they literally had to outlaw the fucking dunk to stop him from being so dominant in college basketball. They outlawed the dunk for a decade because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was so good at college basketball. Think about that for a second. Think about how good this guy was. Um, I don't think that Wembenyama is that good yet. I think that like outside of LeBron, Kareem, the highest of the highest high level players, I think I'm basically willing to listen at this point. Uh, he is yeah. a genuinely completely novel player.
1: Yep. Yeah, he is. And and it's, you know, he's 18 years old, Sam. Like we still know he has so much more to grow, not necessarily physically like that would cause my jaw to drop even farther than it already is right now. If he ends up taller and longer, but learning how to play to his game like we said there's no real blueprint for a player that combines all of the skills and styles that he brings to the table so it's going to take a lot of visionary thinking a lot of people around him who can just put him in different situations and trial by fire this is how teams are guarding me here's how i have to react he shows the ability to shoot off the dribble from three to shoot on the move to be a catch and shoot guy he definitely has the ability to score on the interior near the basket whether that's catch and finish or even face up driving what we've seen this week are the creative isolation moves whether it's face up on a bigger guy where he can make you know one spin move and end up going from the elbow to the mid post on the other side of the floor whether it's you know face up on a smaller guy where he tries to you know, Euro step around him and, oh, and brings the ball over the top into a really delicate touch finger roll at the front of the basket, or it's back to the basket moves where he's surveying if a double team is coming and then hitting these baseline ridiculous fadeaways where he's half cut off by the backboard or going over either shoulder. It, that's what makes this so fascinating. There's, no, there's not going to be an offensive shot in his bag that he can't go to, it's about the the growth that he has of recognition of when to use each of them. And he's already pretty solid in that regard. I think he can still get better as a passer. Uh, that's that's pretty clear. But there's there's no limit to what you can teach him and, and what he's going to be able to put into practice once he develops that feel.
0: Right. I, I think that that's, that's the key kind of terminology that I wrote about uh, for this morning at The Athletic that's why as long as everything clears in terms of health checks and everything this year, he stays healthy and everything checks out there. That's why he's going to go number one over Scoot Henderson. It's because there really isn't a limit to what he can do in terms of his development. You just kind of go through each of the disparate parts of his game and there's room for growth in each. Like he can become an even better shooter. Uh, he can continue to develop his ball handling a little bit more. Uh, he will technically clean up some of the like pick and roll coverage issues that he has right now, where in space, like he'll kind of just get wrong footed or he'll have his hips turned too early and, uh, you know, maybe not be quite as effective. Like you saw Scoot kind of blow by him a couple of times in that first game. You know, there he'll get more strong, he'll get stronger physically, right? Like, we, we can keep going down the list, right? There isn't really a limit though. With him, you can't teach seven foot five, you can't teach an eight foot wingspan, and you can't teach this incredible balance with all of the skills that he's already developed. With Scoot Henderson, like, you just kind of can't fix six foot two, and as good as Scoot Henderson is, and I think he has a case to be like, the best guard prospect in many, many, many years. Uh, I think he is frankly a better guard prospect than John Morant was coming out of Murray state. Uh, I think he's a better guard prospect than Anthony Edward Edwards was coming out of Georgia. I think that he is like ahead of just about all of these guys. Like maybe you can make the case like Derek Rose. Like there are a lot of, I I don't know that I want to like dive deep. The two names that I've gotten the most when it comes to like comparing stylistically Scoot Henderson is Derrick Rose and John ja Morant. Um, I think it's a little bit more Derrick Rose. I think that the point they bring up with Jaws, he has that same killer mentality where like he wants to just go out and absolutely obliterate everyone. Every single time he steps on the court. Um, I, I, It's just that it, it, he's six foot two and Victor Wembanyama is seven foot five. And Vic is already a better shot maker and he's just such a defensive, like difference maker. Like Scoot Henderson does not genuinely change the geometry of a basketball game. Uh, he is unbelievable and his his decision-making is incredible. And I want to dive deeper with you into Scoot as soon as we're done with this, because I do genuinely think he, even though we got hurt today, like, I just want to hear your take on what game one looked like, uh, even though I've talked about it already. Um, he's just like absolutely incredible, phenomenal. He's not like game changing level talent in the way that Vic is. And and unfortunately for scoot, like I think he would have been the no doubter number one overall pick in 2017, in 2020, in 2022, like at least half of the last like six or seven drafts, he would have been like a no question number one overall pick Uh, Cade Cunningham, Zion Williamson. I think there'd probably be questions, but like, that's, that's the ballpark that he's in as a prospect. Yep. Scoot Henderson just isn't Victor Wimbanyama, and that's fine. And we'll see where it goes from here.
1: Yeah. I, look, when I keep thinking about ceiling for Victor Wembanyama and how much room he has to continue to get better, look at any star player that we have in the NBA, the number one option on any team right now currently or even narrow it down further from that to the top maybe 10 best offensive players in the league what position area on the court do you put those guys in to be successful that you can't see a situation where Victor Wanyama can replicate it Giannis and mm-hmm. getting downhill in transition Vic's definitely not as powerful as him but he's long and plays angles and because of his handle is going to be able to to get and put pressure on the rim You know, I Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely an an upside and ability for him to play with his back to the basket in those mid post situations to be just a consistent lethal killer like Kevin Durant has been. Just any type of of star offensive player, I I think there's a realm where you can say he adds this to his game. Maybe you know Embiid is a little bit different because of the power, but uh, I think he can play back to the basket on the blocks if you really needed him to. It's just. He's so much better at other things that uh, that's probably not a great return for Vic. So my upside and brimming for him is he can combine elite skills that we've already seen and currently see from top ten players in the NBA. The the defensive end of the floor is also really fascinating to me. You know, you'd mentioned right off the top the difference of not having Scoot Henderson today. Of you know, less athleticism, rim pressure, that that quickness to really threaten him in those situations. He definitely seemed more comfortable. I thought in the first game he was relatively jumpy, trying yeah. to leave his feet to block shots. And somebody's got to pull him aside and just be like, dude, you are you have an eight foot wingspan. Just put your hand up and you're gonna alter the shot. You don't have to leave your yeah. feet to chase down blocks every single time. And I thought he was better with that today. There was one sequence uh, in the second half when the Ignite had, I think, a throw ahead in transition trying to look for an early dunk, and he was just in the area, and I forget who the offensive player was. It might have been Sissoko. Saw that he was there, didn't go up quickly, kind of reverse pivoted, tried to gather himself, and then go up a second time, and Vic stayed patient and swatted that one towards the sideline. Like He can be patient and understand. The rules are different for him defensively because of his size and his length, of how much space he eats, his ability to recover on things. like You can play a different style. On the interior, you don't have to leave your feet as much. You don't have to jump to try to block every shot. You alternate, alter it just by being big. On the perimeter, you can probably gamble a little bit more. Reach in and try to grab a steal because your length yeah. is going to allow you to recover in straight lines. We saw that with the first play of the game. You know, The Ignite tried to get him on that spin backdoor lob, he's overplaying and the lob looked like it was there. His he's just too long. He can get to those. There's there's nothing you can do as an offense.
0: There's zero margin for error. There is genuinely zero margin for error when he is around the basket. We're talking about players securing the bag. When they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with Nord VPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server encrypting it in the process. This is gonna hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shop blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Uh, let's talk about Scoot Henderson now. I just want to get your take on game one because I went back and watched it to write the thing that I wrote today. I thought his fourth quarter was even better than his first half. Like I know that the first half got all of the accolades and excitement. Oh my God. The way that he diagnosed and understood exactly what Metropolitans was doing and how messy the backside of their defense was in terms of communication, there's so many little miscommunications on the backside of their defense. The way that he diagnosed that and figured it out. Oh my God. He was, he was absolutely incredible. I thought he was absolutely amazing. He is not just an athlete. He is a real genuine point guard. He is an unbelievable playmaker passer for others. He has the real mid range game. I I adore Scoot Henderson. I love him.
1: Yep. more More space for him to operate in when he came off those pick and rolls. I thought that the Ignite, the rest of the teammates were very patient around him and trying to make his reads either simpler or just give him a runway to be able to get to the basket at times, which I appreciated because I think when you have a special talent athletically like he is, you've got to try to keep the game incredibly simple and bank on his talent being able to carry you to making the right play time and time again. And in the fourth quarter, he proved that. You know, I I found it interesting. I think a lot of times star players almost flip the script from the way that Scoot came out in this game. They start the game trying to operate and create for others because in theory, if you get everybody else going, they can stay hot, they stay engaged in in other areas. And then defenses are less focused on you, where when it's fourth quarter games on the line, you go into a little bit more takeover mode and, and try to score for yourself. Scoot did the exact opposite. He came out swinging and he was just, he was out to prove a point right from the jump that, you know, his jump shot has improved. He's going to be able to get to the rim and he is unafraid of attacking Vic, whether it's in drop coverage, in switches and isolations one on one. He was going right at Vic and he wasn't making bad decisions. I think a lot of times the the game within a game can detract from the end result. And I didn't think it did for Scoot in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. But, he was incredibly savvy in the fourth quarter to kind of realize, you know what? I can get into the heart of this defense and get somebody else a wide open shot time and time again. And I didn't think he forced any bad ones in that fourth quarter where it's, it's not just about the number of great passes he made, but I don't think he coughed away other possessions by saying, okay, I've done this enough. Now it's my turn to go get a bucket. Just very no. unselfish, yeah. make the right type of play every single time. When you talk about that killer, I'll prove it to you instinct that John Morant had, it's the combination of that with the ability to set that me part aside and just make the right decision for us as a team. That really gets me to buy into Scoot Henderson being special at the next level, that all of his physical yeah. gifts, his ability to create his own shot is great. He's going to value making the right play. And maybe it's the coach in me and and it's a little cynical at times, but I think the basketball gods reward those who just continually make the right play.
0: Okay. So we're about to get a fairly epic tanking race this year is what it feels like, right? Like th- that's where this is all leading to. We have these two prospects that are very clearly like number one overall caliber prospects, including one in Victor Wembanyama, that is like, genuinely franchise altering right that's where we are he's a genuine franchise changer uh if you get to select him at the top of the draft having said that with lottery odds being as flat as they are now it's going to be fairly difficult for teams to like really lock in those top three lottery odds which are all the same Uh, and we've seen teams since these lottery odds have been flatted kind of rise up over the, from the middle of that lottery range into that number one overall pick spot, number two overall pick spot. So, yes, I understand that like it's harder to get like the level of losses that you have to get. San Antonio is going to be an absolute disaster this year, I think. Um, Indiana is probably not going to be very good. The Jazz, like. I I don't know. Like, I I think the jazz are going to be pretty bad, but like they have some vets on that team that might like kind of up the level of play a little bit, especially in the early portion of the season. Um, You know, maybe the rockets are not very good. Although I think they're going to be a little bit better. Oklahoma city, you know, God, like Shea Gilgis Alexander, like Sam Presti might not let Shea Gilgis Alexander back into the building at this point, (laughs) like uh, in order to get Vic, uh, I, 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 What do we think the tanking structure of the NBA looks like this year? I feel like it might be off the rails.
1: Yeah, it does seem that way. I mean, I've never heard of a one-game performance from a prospect where the entire world community is talking about shutting him down, which I don't think Victor Wimanyama should ever entertain the possibility. He needs oddball creation reps. He needs the ability to explore the space of being a number one option and learn how to react to all of these different situations that he's going to be placed in. So by no means should he shut it down and try to avoid the injury talk, so to speak. Um, From a a team standpoint, look, there are, are definitely those that are already committed to the rebuilding youth movement timeline where this year is not about trying to win games. San Antonio and Oklahoma City Are probably the two that stand out the most. I think there are also some teams that are understanding that's the process they're going to move in, but want to give maybe a little bit of a shot with the veterans that they have or don't buy into the full, you know, retool experience from day one. I think Indiana and Utah in particular, like they have enough intriguing veterans. What I'm really surveying right here is I think you and Ricky mentioned it on your podcast on Tuesday. This is a draft that has two number one picks Yeah, Uh, that you don't have to come up with number one or bust that as long as you jump into that top two, you are getting a legitimate game changing franchise altering prospect. And who knows, maybe as the season goes on, there's another guy who clearly jumps into that list. So I think that, further makes tanking less of a risk than it might with the flattened odds in another year. The other.
0: Yeah. Like the, the, the interesting part of it is to me, some of these teams that we're expecting to be competitive, right? Like Detroit, Houston will be a little bit more competitive. Uh, You know, uh, Orlando should be way more competitive. If they're not like especially the Eastern Conference teams because the Western Conference teams it's going to be hard for them not to at least be in the play in picture because of how bad like Utah, Oklahoma City, um San Antonio, those three particularly are going to be in probably Houston. I or um did, did I say Houston already? The, the four bad ones are going to be Oklahoma City, Utah, Houston and um who's the who's the fourth San one? San Antonio. Yeah. San Antonio, that's right. Um So there's going to be 11 teams vying for 10 play-in spots. So I think it's going to be kind of hard for them to, like, really, truly ever kind of drop out, right? Um, In the East, though, like, a team like Detroit, a team like Orlando, at what point do they decide, oh, my God, like, we're probably out of the play-in picture because the East at the top is, like, kind of deep. Or if we are, like, we can't really make, like, the – high-end playoffs or we are have to play Boston or Philadelphia in the first round. What's the point? Right. At what point, like, does it happen in January where like Detroit's like, well, okay, do you know, you've got like kind of a little, you know, I know your calf's not feeling great right now. Let's give you a month and a half just to kind of sit down, you know, and, and maybe we'll bring you back later in the year. If things go okay. Like at, at what point does that happen? Typically it happens around like March, Does it happen in like late January this year where teams start to like drop off a little bit?
1: Yeah, there's another part of this, which I don't know how fully I get on board with, but the incentive of teams like Indiana and Utah to maybe move some of their vets right away, something that they might Mm want to hold on a little bit more towards January, February, because you might have a little bit more leverage around the deadline or there are some injuries that play out that really allow a different team to be a suitor than there is around right now. Um, yeah. I don't know if they can hang on that long because they might win too many games to take them out of the sweepstakes for something like this. And if their yeah. goal is to put themselves in contention for it, they they're making these deals in early de- you know, December 15th is when uh, players are eligible to be traded, I believe. So like we may yeah. see some, you know, mid to late December deals, as opposed to waiting all the way to to January, February when we start to see some movement.
0: Or like, do we see Utah like make a move now? Yeah. Do we yeah. do we see Utah just go like, shit, like we got Jordan Clarkson, we got Malik Beasley, we got Mike Conley. Like there are gonna be too many games where these guys just kind of shoot us into games. We need to move these guys. Like honestly, like do we see like Utah go in early Jan or, or like early October, late October here just decide you know, we don't have a needle mover, frankly. Like, we don't have the guy on our roster that matters in terms of winning long-term in the NBA. What do we do? Like, do do we just move all these guys and try and, like, tank for Vic? Honestly, like, I kind of think – like, I I think they should if I'm being completely transparent with it. Like, Utah should be moving these guys, like, now. Um, I I was – I've been pretty low on Utah. Like, I I did not think that they would really find all that much success this season. But I I don't know. Like, some of these teams, like Oklahoma City, San Antonio, like they're really, really bad. (laughs) They're like really desperately bad. And if you win four games early that you shouldn't win, that might be enough. Right. To like really push you into a different stratosphere of where it'd be difficult for you to like really lose enough games late in the year to where you're in this mix. I I don't know. Like if I was Indiana, maybe you move Miles Turner a little bit earlier. Maybe you move Buddy Healed a little bit earlier. You give the reins to Tyrese Halliburton, Ben Matherin, Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson and that's a fun core and uh, Indiana fans should be pumped, but that's probably not a core that's going to win a lot of NBA games in 2023.
1: Right. Yeah, well, the the dark horse team for me in this is Charlotte because there's just the oh, vibe. Oh
0: god. The, the vibe. Have you seen their preseason games?
1: It's bad. I watched the Celtics one cuz I, you know, I cover the Celtics for Celtics but Rough. Just really really rough, like not even it's it's effort based with them right now. And yeah. to have that in the preseason with a new coach coming in like there's there's serious worries that I have with Charlotte uh so I would not be surprised if they get to that like mid-December period and they're one of the worst teams in the NBA and they're like we just we have to go all in on Vic I
0: I wouldn't blame them like they oh boy and look it's preseason like maybe but you and I have had like real concerns about Charlotte's talent level, like the whole preseason, like coming into the year and the offseason stuff. I don't know, man. Lamello's good, but like is LaMelo good enough to lift the entire roster there? I mean, man, I don't know if you saw James Booknight last night, like trying to get around to Aaron Naismith. Like Aaron Naismith isn't the fleetest of foot guy. Like, all due respect to Aaron. I think he's like a rotation player long term in the NBA, but like I mean, he like couldn't even get past half court against Aaron Naismith. And like, this is a guy whose ball handling and like shot creation ability is it's the whole pitch with him. Like uh, I've got, I've got real questions about Charlotte. I've got real concerns about what they look like yep. right
1: now. Yeah, me too. And it, well, the other two teams that I wanted to hit on, right? I guess three here in terms of the tanking discussion are Houston, Orlando and Detroit teams that have already acquired what they believe to be their franchise cornerstones. And there's a lot of growth that can happen from having those guys, keeping a veteran or two around and trying to win basketball games. That yep. once you've got your cornerstones, everything is about figuring out how to fit pieces on top of them. Now, the flip side of that coin is those cornerstones and the young rosters they've already built with a Scoot Henderson or Victor Wimbanyama. That's like, uh, that's yeah. Oklahoma City Thunder from 15 years ago with back-to-back-to-back drafts of KD, Russ, and Harden. That, like, that's the level of talent that we're talking about here. So do I get the appeal? Yes. But I think that there are too many other teams that are going to be bad and or seeing how good Victor and Scoot are and incentivized to strip their rosters down early to the point where I don't think Houston, Orlando, or Detroit can really leapfrog and get back into that top six of draft odds next year
0: yeah i mean it's it's fascinating as we move forward here uh any other guys with the ignite that kind of stood out to you i i didn't think that like either of the two other prospects on metropolitans koulibaly and koulibaly had a nice little dunk but like uh, is the other one trey ore if i remember correctly yeah. i don't think either of those guys like really stood out in a big way um I liked City Sissoko in the first game a little bit more than Leonard Miller. I liked Leonard Miller a little bit more in the second game than Citi Sissoko. Um, I thought Leonard was really rough in the first game, as I talked about with Ricky, but I thought that, you know, I would expect that early in the season from Miller, uh, just because, it, you know, he's an inconsistent shooter right now. He's never really played off the ball. It's just going to take some time. I thought he was much, much better today. He looked, um, much calmer and like a lot, it was, it was like very all over the place in game one, but today he kind of adjusted. I also want to give Leonard Miller some props here real quick. Okay. I don't know how many people in Victor Wembanyama's career at this point are going to jump with him at the rim, <laughs> trying to block a shot from Victor Wembanyama, who is seven foot five with an eight foot wingspan and like can actually jump a little bit. Leonard Miller genuinely tried to contest him at the rim today. And I don't mean this in any sort of like backhanded way. He got got, but I respect the shit out of him for trying. I respect the hell out of him for giving real defensive effort and trying to contest Victor Wembanyama, who the odds are you're going to get absolutely fucking yammed on if you do this. And he knew that and he still went for it. I respect the hell out of that
1: totally agree. We we tell our guys here in our program all the time, you're not a real baller until you've had your ankles broken or you've been dunked on. It's just it, it's a rite of passage when you play as much hoops as you do. So, don't be ashamed by it, go and embrace that. Love to see that from Leonard Miller. Yeah. I, I was always fascinated from watching the the dichotomy of how he looked in game 1 versus game 2, by how much more comfortable he looks when Scoot isn't on the floor.
0: Yeah, that's uh, another thing for sure. But he, you know what though, like it's kind of like I talked about with Ricky like you he needs those reps like he, he needs those reps of playing with another primary ball handler I think
1: he does and that's why even though today was a, a good game from him it doesn't move the needle much for me from an NBA evaluation standpoint because I, I just I don't see him being more of a primary guy that, that they run it on of offense so he's just very boxy and square and a lot of his yeah. movement abilities below the rim super bouncy um, and does have some some feel and creativity with the ball in his hands. Yeah, but good just amount not, of it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just not a very um, quick twitch athlete with the ball in his hands. But it was good to see him play a little bit more confidently after what I thought was a rough outing from Game One. Uh, Sissoko, <laughs> just to, to move it there for a second. I was really impressed with his motor in Game One. That's what yeah. stood out to me the most. That you know he and, and Leonard Miller are both coming into the ignite with a lot of primary reps under their belt, being the man in the system that they played in before arriving here. And I think there's still a lot of work for Sissoko with learning how to play off the ball more on offense. His jump shot is okay, continuing to get better, but he at least came in there with the mentality of I'm going to make every hustle play, every effort play so that I can stay on the floor and be a positive contributor in those areas. So I th- I was just really impressed by some of the intangibles that he showed right from the jump.
0: Yeah, uh, a couple of questions here to finish on. Uh, one of the other players on the Ignite is Mojave King. I've always been a little bit more down on Mojave. I thought he was pretty okay in both these games, to be okay. honest. like m- Better than what we'd seen from him at Cairns and Adelaide in those two Next Stars years. Yeah, like look, you know, Charlie S asked, like, will Wembenyama now challenge Mojave King for the number one overall pick? Like, great question. Uh, Structure, first and foremost. But, like, look, Mojave King, there's a non zero chance he gets drafted for sure, like, based off of what we've seen so far.
1: Yeah. uh, I think he had that one movement shot that he was able to hit here in the game today. Like there's, there's off ball upside that he's showing. I think that's the key for all of this. You know, there are some really, really talented players in the world, but there are probably 30 to 40 who make it to the NBA to play with the ball in their hands on a consistent basis. So I value off ball offense a hell of a lot in terms of evaluation. And he is a little bit further along than Sissoko or Leonard Miller right now. And that's going to show time and time again when you play next to a guy like Scoot Henderson.
0: Yeah. Um, And then from a mean HMD, is Scoot Henderson a generational talent?
1: You know, I'm very um, reserved with that word generational because generational is what once in every 60 years, 50 years, 40. How do we define? You know what?
0: I would say like 10 is, is my take on it. Like once every yeah. 10 years, you know, prospect that, that's okay. kind of my theory on it. Like we get one of these guys, like again, like you go back through history, right? Like yeah. in the sixties, it was Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the late seventies. It was Ralph Sampson in the, you know, late seventies. Again, like Arvita Sabonis was in Russia, right? Um In the, 90s like early 2000s you had LeBron you know Kevin Durant came around in 2007 something like that right uh and Greg Oden obviously and Greg just obviously unfortunately had the injury history um you know it seems like it's a once every 10 years kind of thing once every 10 to 15 maybe Shaquille O'Neal in the 90s uh is maybe like the window in between Ralph Mm -hmm. Sampson and um LeBron James, right? So like once every 10 years, I think is maybe the best way to frame it.
1: Yeah, uh, he's probably close. I, I don't know if I'd put him in that category yet. Like I think Zion physically was a little bit more of a, yeah. a freak show in, in certain ways that I would just say, you know, you're never going to see something like this again. Uh, the concept you always talk about of novel versus good. I think Zion yeah. proved that he was both novel and good in his one year at yeah. Duke. Um, Yama has as
0: well now.
1: Yama already has, and I don't know if I would put Scoot above Kate Cunningham. Um, you know, I got into this right around the time that Luka Doncic was coming out. He yeah. wasn't my clear number one at that time, but looking back, definitely should have been. Like, I don't know if what Scoot is doing now is more impressive than what Doncic did in Europe as a teenager, but he's close, and I don't think it's a crazy question to ask at all.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, From Harrison Rich, what are some of your favorite Wembanyama and Scoot landing spots? I answered this with Ricky uh, on the previous pod. I said Oklahoma City for Victor um, because that just sounds fun to me to see Chet, right? Like Chet would be incredible to me um with victor Wembanyama, just because of the length the shooting everything like that right uh it's i don't even know that it's like an incredible fit or anything but it's like one of my favorites and it would be fun um and then ricky brought up the idea of houston for scoot henderson with just like the scoot jalen green combination in the backcourt with with jabari smith's shooting and what alper and shangun can bring to the table like kind of the that idea was really, really fun to me as well. Who, who are some of the ones that stand out to you for Vic and Scoot?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough sometimes because you want to look at the young talents to pair them with in this question, and like there are a couple teams out there in Utah and San Antonio we've talked about that don't have that foundational piece yet. So it's hard to include them in this conversation. When, quite frankly, yeah. I would love to have each prospect and a blank slate to be able to build around the the strengths and skills that they bring to the table. That would be really appealing to me. If I have to look at one of the young cores and and kind of groups that that I would want to put them with, there's an intriguing one for Scoot Henderson to me. That's Indiana. I would would love to see Scoot and Tyrese as a really, really smart, high-level back because of Tyrese's ability to play off ball, Matherin's shooting ability long-term. I I think the Indi- Indiana is already building towards a really well-spaced offense that Scoot would thrive in. That's just an intriguing one to me in, in many regards. But I'm with you 100%. Wemby to Oklahoma City is just – it's what I'm hoping for. I would love to be able to see him and Chet Holmgren just shut off – Every type of driving lane imaginable to mankind on the defensive end of the floor.
0: Uh, well, Adam, I don't really want to dig into like the Draymond Green, mm-hmm. Jordan Poole stuff, which is the big NBA news over the yeah. course of the last week because, yeah, that just seems like a bit of a mess. Um, all the best to everyone involved there. Um, but I have an important announcement for you The Expendables Four will release. On September 22nd, 2023, when Sylvester Stallone is 77 years old, still just rocking Special Forces movies, I guess. Uh, what a what a time to be alive, Spins. Yeah.
1: Shout out Sylvester. Still doing it. He is the Ric Flair of acting.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, one last question here. I do think this one is interesting. Is there a possibility at this point the Thompson Twins overtake Scoot at number two? I personally don't see it because I don't think a man is the one that would have the chance. I think a man is uh, just a bit of a level above a at this point. Um, I don't think he is developed enough as a shooter. That's one thing we didn't really talk about with scoot. Uh, scoot is like a genuinely really high-level mid-range shooter. He made 45% of his mid-range shots last year on pull-ups. Um, he's a better shooter than what he gets credit for, uh, even though he hit, like, 21% from three last year. We saw a couple of pull-up threes uh, in game one of this series already. I really like Amen. Amen would be number three, I think, on my board right now. Maybe four, like three or four with Cam Whitmore, uh, like kind of in that combo there. But I do not see it really as a distinct possibility that uh amen Thompson would jump scoot right now.
1: Yep, I agree. I think that a men's ceiling Adam, may be you're muted. Bit... Am I muted here? You got me? Yeah, you're
0: good now. Okay.
1: All right. So I, I think a men's ceiling is maybe
0: there we go. Oh
1: man, killing me here. Um a men's ceiling might be a little We're bit good again. There we go. Then Scoots. I I think so. I think that if athletically what he's able to do, just floating in the air combined with really special passing feel, I can understand why someone would make the argument that a men's ceiling would be higher than Scoots. I'm not necessarily making it, but I understand why someone would make that argument. Um, But I don't think that there's any way. He, He can't tap into that between now and the draft where he would overtake Scoot. Um, I just, I don't yeah. see that as possible.
0: Yeah. I really like a man. Um, um, I, I think that it would be very hard for him to get there as a shooter from now until then. Um, yeah, it's it's a no for me right now. I I don't think you're wrong to say like his ceil- his ceiling is a little bit higher, but Scoot is just like such a better shooter at this point. Like it's a it's probably like two tiers above. Like it's not just like oh yeah, like he has to make like one little leap and he's in Scoot's range. Like it, it's multiple levels at this point. Yeah, yeah. I
1: have I, I don't f- five on my board. So like, I don't even have yeah. him my clear cut number three, because the shooting is such an issue for me in a lot of different ways, but it's more of the recognition of like, could he ever pass scoot only if the shot comes along? I'm, I don't see that happening, but if it does, I understand why his ceiling could or would be higher.
0: Yeah. And like on top of it, Amen is what like, oh, is it might be like 14 months older than scoot, something like that. Like it's not, it's not like an insubstantial difference in terms of age either. Um, You know, uh, the same person asked, is a Thompson's age going to be a big factor in his draft stock? I don't believe so, but like, I think that he still ends up going in the top like seven or eight for sure. Um, And it's the shooting that will be the factor in his draft stock. Not, um, yeah, not his, not his age basically. No.
1: I mean, when you're elite, you're elite as a prospect. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we talk about the difference between you know, Chet Holmgren being, what, 20 or 21, closer to those ages than somebody who's truly 18 years old the time they come out to the draft. But the first year that these guys are draft eligible, they end up going in the top six or seven because they're a top six or seven talent in any year that they're taken. It's just the first time they're draft eligible based on Mm reclassifying when they were younger doing postgraduate years. Like it's not about the difference between being, you know, a a men Thompson at 20 when he's draft eligible versus Keegan Murray being 21 by the time he's draft eligible. There's just, there's a big difference in that regard.
0: Yeah. Um, Adam, you have to go to practice and do your things. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life.
1: Yeah. Find me on YouTube. My name, Adam Spinella or Twitter, the box and one underscore, obviously going to be coming out with some more stuff following these two miraculous games that we've seen from Victor Wembenyama. Uh, But we're knocking on the door of the season here and diving a little bit more to college hoops, which is something that I'm really excited for. But what a, what a fun week this has been, Sam. Thank you for having me on here to debrief a couple of these games I am going to go and just hit replay on the highlights from Victor Wembenyama and, and never let a moment from the last couple of days leave my brain because holy crap.
0: Goodness. Oh my goodness. Um I wrote a big breakdown like a 4000 word breakdown of the Victor Wembenyama Scoot Henderson game in game 1. I think it's genuinely the best prospect game of the 2000s at the very least. Um I, I can't really see a case for anything else. So go subscribe to The Athletic. Go and read that story. Adam has released scouting videos from game one, if I remember correctly as well, on YouTube. Yep. Yeah, I, I have not watched them yet, but I know that they exist. I wanted to wait until after I finished my thing to watch them. So I uh, am excited to see those, but I did want to give those a plug. Please go uh, watch Adam's videos over on Adam Spinella, uh YouTube channel this has been the game theory podcast adam and i'll be back on sunday uh to talk i don't know yet. what am i i don't know what i'm gonna make you do yet i, I think that probably just wings probably like nba draft wings um is yeah. our is our not next like, like positional Yeah, not breakout.
1: boneless or bone-in barbecue honey barbecue not yeah, those yeah. Of, like positional wings
0: god i kind of want wings tonight now look Let's at what do you've it. done Yeah, Yeah, I think I'm in. Okay, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Uh Anything else here? No, I don't think so. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.